Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You can be seated in the fear of the Lord. What a privilege it is to be in this desk today and to speak to this congregation. I appreciate that. I thank you for your prayers for Sister Boyd and I over the last several weeks. We just have something that we can't seem to let go of or it won't let go of us. Um, but I thank you. We're feeling much, much better. I want to turn our attention to the book of Acts chapter 2. And um, we're going to be in some very familiar territory this morning. Um, we started several weeks ago uh, a series on foundations to talk about foundational principles, what the church is built on, what we stand on. And so as we look at Acts 2.36 today, the Bible says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Bible says in, in verse 37, now when they heard this, verse 36 is the conclusion of Peter's sermon. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And today I want to talk about something very fundamental in our walk with God, and that is repentance and forgiveness. And um, there are many, many reasons. I would not list them all today, but there are many reasons why we need to visit and then visit again and then visit again and then visit again. Uh, some, some, uh, some principles and uh, that is because one reason would be because if we're not careful in our, in our day of instant everything, we can minimize the value of repentance in a person's life. There's a real tendency to want to help the butterfly out of the cocoon. There is a real tendency sometimes to want to help that struggling chick break forth from its shell. But you see, that's not at all what is supposed to happen. God has a plan. And in the process of all that, what we think is struggle or what we think may be uh, almost to kill and to take the life. In, in the mind of God, he said, I'm going to do this because it, what's happening right now is going to be beneficial not just for today, not just for the hatching or the birthing, but this is going to be beneficial from this point forward. And so when we talk about for when we talk about repentance and we talk about forgiveness, I think that 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 those of us who 
have the Holy Ghost should understand for one thing, I'm not just speaking to somebody who doesn't have the Holy Ghost today, but I, because I think that we all should understand the value of continued repentance, and we'll talk about that as we go. But certainly, repentance is the first step, the first step toward forgiveness of sins. And so I want to make a conscious effort that I never forget what it was like to be set free. I don't want to get ever get over the feeling of, of feeling that sin guilt lift from my heart, my mind, my, my life. And so true repentance, true repentance is always evidenced by the turning away from sin. Amen. There is fruit in the life of a person who has repented, even though someone may have repented and not have yet received the Holy Ghost. There would be fruit, there would be evidence of a changed mind, a changed direction. Uh, we're just going to be marching, we're going to be, we're going to be doing something different. I'm going to be living another way. Amen. True repentance is always evidenced by a turning away from sin. We often underestimate the power of forgiveness and the freedom that we experience as a result of genuine repentance of sins. And so I don't want to ever under be guilty of that, to underestimate that. I want to always remember and value the precious blood of Jesus Christ forgiving, washing. Amen. I hope we're not so far removed from that point that we have forgotten. Amen. That we have forgotten. In um, my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers wrote this, and I quote, Conviction of sin is one of the most uncommon things that ever happens to a person. It's the beginning of an understanding of God. When the Holy Spirit stirs a person's conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not that person's relationship with others that bothers him, but it's his relationship with God that bothers him. In Psalms 51 and 4, David says to God, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Now, when David prayed this prayer, if you think about why David was even repenting, there were a lot of people that David sinned against. Amen. There were a lot of people that paid a high price for David's sin, but David wasn't being cavalier about those that lost their lives or those lives that were forever marked or changed. He wasn't, he wasn't being disrespectful of, of that, but David understood the progression and he understood the priority list. And he said, Lord, it's you and you only that I have sinned against and, and, and done this evil in your sight. And so when we consider the, the wonders of conviction of sin and forgiveness and, and, and the holiness of God's spirit, they are all interwoven and a part of who we are. That is the only, that is the only forgiven person, amen, that is truly experiencing the power of holiness when we have been forgiven, when we've been washed, when we've been cleansed. And so receiving the forgiveness of, God's, of God for sins that we have committed is so liberating to be set free, not just from yesterday's, uh, yesterday's stories, but to be set free from the conviction, amen, the condemnation of that. And so it motivates within us a willingness to forgive others that have that have transgressed against us. When we experience true forgiveness, you want others to experience forgiveness. And so it motivates us to forgive others around us. I believe that those who are mature, are maturing in God, have genuine, are those that have genuinely sought repentance. 
They have experienced forgiveness from sins and they have in turn forgiven those who have hurt them. We're trying to get past yesterday's wounds. And there is, therein is the freedom, the freedom and the liberty of forgiveness. Repentance is not something that, that God requires because he's God. I think it's important that we understand this. God didn't design a game called life and then make up a series of rules by which we play the game with one of those rules being repentance. Amen. Repentance is not some game. It's not a part of a game that God is playing. But repentance is the description of the road that takes us back home to God. Amen. There's an old song that I heard uh, when I was growing up that said that same road will lead me back to Calvary. Amen. Repentance is a part of that road that takes us back to God. Amen. Sin always separates. And so when we become aware of that separation, he provides an opportunity for us to turn back to him, to come home. In its most simplified essence, perhaps, repentance is that turning back to God or turning to God. To understand the nature of forgiveness and and why repentance is essential, I think it's first necessary to understand what sin is. Sin is not just a box of Marlboro. Sin is not just a can of Budweiser or a bottle of Seagram 7. Sin at its root is a violation of the will and the purpose of God. Amen. It is a violation of the will and the purpose of God that has been expressed in his word. God's will is given to us in his word. God's direction is given to us in his word. And so when we violate that in any fashion, that is sin. There's no big sins, no little sins, et cetera, et cetera. Amen, it's, we gotta understand what sin is and understand that it is when we violate his word, that is sin. When we sin, we need to repent. Amen. I could ask for a show of hands. Probably wouldn't be a lot of participation here, but I could ask for a show of hands of how many sinned this week. Amen. Well, I, I didn't think we'd have too many chewed up there, but <laughs> but if we were, if we were to do that, and if we were to be honest in our response to that, then there would be many times, I don't, I don't say this to condemn, but I say this to awaken us, there would be many hands that would need to go up and perhaps most hands that would need to go up. I'm not suggesting that we should or can sin a little every day, but when we violate God's word, amen, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord. When I violate your word, you know, we don't have to be on a bar stool to violate God's word, amen. We cannot act on what we know is true and violate God's word. And so uh, when, when sin... There is a twofold meaning for the word sin, depending on the scriptural context. Sin can refer either to a particular act of disobedience. We find particular acts of disobedience in scripture. Or sin can refer to the sinful nature that produces an act of disobedience. Amen. There is that act of obedience that, that we act on, or there is that nature that may lead us to act on. That's why we've got to keep our body our life, our will under subjection to the spirit and the power and the presence of God. And so I want to make sure 
that if I violate that, that I am restored to a relationship with God. And so in that case, I must repent. I need to receive forgiveness for those sins that have separated me or you from God. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can find forgiveness and redemption. And so I'm saying this today, trying to reach every person in this audience, not just a few, not just not to just segregate just a few out to tell us that when we violate God's word and we find ourselves in sin, we need to stop right there and we need to repent and ask God to touch us and forgive us and to restore that right relationship with God. Amen. All of humanity is under the curse of sin and therefore uh, we are separated from right fellowship with God. We commonly call this condition sometimes in our church vernacular and I don't think it's relegated to just church vernacular but we commonly call this being lost. Amen. We call this condition of separation being lost. Now, I don't, again, think that's just something we made up. I think we have scripture for that. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Amen. Those that are lost in whom, in verse 4, the Bible says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of this of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen. So if the gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Paul said, here's, here's how they're lost, because their eyes, their minds, has been blinded, lest they should believe. Amen. That's, that, there's a powerful truth right there, because he said, if the light of the gospel shines in a heart, and in a life, they're going to see the truth of God's word. God is not in the business of playing games. He is not in the business of playing games. He wants everybody to be, to be saved. He wants everybody to come to the saving knowledge of who he is and to know him for who he is. And so the enemy is working overtime to blind our mind and to drown out the voice of God in this hour. The effect of sin is twofold. In the human experience, the first effect is is our experience of guilt. How many has ever felt that guilt? Amen. You 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 step out of bounds with God, and there is that guilt that uh, that that seems to overwhelm us and override us. And while we all have that inherent nature of uh, of sin, we have uh, we all have actively sinned. Amen. This is honesty day. Amen. <laughs> We do have an inherent nature of sin. So, you know, we don't want to just shroud this with all kind of religious talk here today. Amen. We all have an inherent nature of sin, but then there are times that we have actively sinned. And again, you may not have been holding a can of beer, but our tongue may have been blowing in the wind like a flag. Amen. And so that's sin. Yes, it is sin, and so we have when we when we are sinning, when we are violating the word of God, when we're when we're trying to find out too much information or trying to get more information than we really need, the Scripture calls that in the New Testament a busybody. Amen. That's in the King James version. You don't have to go to some other version to find that terminology, busybody. And so when you're trying to find out everything that you can, and that violates God's word, and that puts us in sin. God condemn us 
or the spirit of busybodiness. Amen. God condemn us. Amen. We stand, therefore, because of this nature of sin, guilty before God. Now, this is not an imagined guilty conscience, but this is an act of guilt before a righteous God. This is not just the guilt that someone may toss on you. This is the guilt that we feel because we are in the presence of a righteous God. In addition, sin causes pollution. Sin poisoned the well of human experience. And so God, in his mercy, offers every person an open door to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. Amen. We need to repent of our sins. And then we need to be baptized for the remission or the removal of those sins. Amen. No matter the nature of sin or how long someone has lived in sin. However, uh, to receive forgiveness, we must repent. Amen. You can't just think about it in your mind. Amen. You can't just have just some fleeting thought. There needs to be an active course of repentance. Every day, every day, as a part of my morning prayer, I want to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Now, lest you get a negative image of me, I'm not wanting to cast that image in your mind today, but I'm going to tell you that it's so easy to violate the principles of God's word. And so I don't want to stand so high and haughty and high-minded to think that I'm above or beyond failure because sometimes we surprise ourselves at how close to the line we really are. Amen. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that the truth that, that we, we, we have a thought or we say something or we, we step out of line? We think, oh, my Lord, I, I thought I was more spiritual than that. I thought I was stronger than that. I, I, I thought I had it more together than that. Amen. So we need to realize that God has offered us a place and he's offered us forgiveness, but we must repent. Amen. Don't be so prideful that we, that we are not able to pronounce that word and say that on a daily basis. God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. And then turn away from those things that oppose the will of God. As I said often, that, that we, we don't need to, to keep repenting over besetting sins. We need to ask for deliverance over besetting sins. Those things that just keep cropping up, those things that keep showing up on our doorstep, I need to actively seek God, not just for repentance, but I want to pray, God, I want you to deliver me, deliver my heart, deliver me from those things. Praise the Lord. Then we express our faith in Jesus Christ by submitting to water baptism in Jesus' name. Amen, I'm thankful for the name of Jesus. Amen, I'm thankful for his power and his strength today. Amen, God will not endorse. (coughs) God is not going to endorse or condone anything that opposes his will. Amen, but to those who seek him, to those who understand the value of humility in the presence of God, God opens the door to his righteousness. Thank you very much. God opens the door to his righteousness by the shed blood of Calvary's cross. And so in our, in our, in our humanity, we could never span the gulf 
of separation between man and God. You can't do enough good things, in other words, to get back in God's good grace. You can't bake enough apple pies for your neighbor. You can't shake enough hands. There's not enough things that we can do. Amen. But God has provided a means whereby we can stand with him in right relationship. Amen. I'm thankful for God's grace. But God's grace doesn't lead us to sin. God's grace leads us to repentance. A sinner need only to come to God with a broken heart, a contrite heart. Amen. In the spirit of humility. Because God looks on the heart. Now there's a lot of people that take this scripture out of context. Amen. And God does look on the heart. And I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But God sees our heart. God sees our motive. God sees our motive. I remember when I was a, a real young man uh, in church, I remember some one night thinking uh, while someone was preaching, they were preaching about uh, if any sick be among you, let them call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint you with oil. And in, the, in, in that scripture, and James had also said, and if you've committed any sin, they'll be forgiven you. I was thinking, well, hey. <laughs> All I gotta do is just go up for prayer. I was a child. I was a child. She used to think, well, we can just do whatever we want to do and feign some illness and just go up for prayer and get the preacher to anoint you with oil, lay hands on you. Voila, everything is all right. But I forgot about one passage of Scripture that said, but God looks on the heart and God sees your motive. <laughs> God sees your motive. I'm glad I grew out of that. <clears throat> So God sees our heart. And so we got to be very careful to understand that he knows what motivates us. He knows what drives us. If we're, if, if we're only complimenting someone to get something out of them or from them, God, God sees all that naughtiness that's going on in our heart, no matter how much we hide that behind a smile. And so when God sees humility and when God sees remorse, he reveals himself to that person in mercy and in grace. Amen. Don't ever, don't ever walk away from humility. Amen. Don't ever climb up on that pedestal of pride. That's a dangerous place to be. As a matter of fact, you're only a few more steps away from a fall. Amen. We need to stay and walk in that mercy. The Bible said in Matthew 5 and 6, I'll just read this. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God will grant the desire of those who hunger after him and he grants unto them not just random things but he grants unto them his righteousness. God fills that repentant heart with his spirit. Many people who profess Christianity uh, you know, they have a desire to be saved. However, while, while their desire for salvation and whatever blessings may come in knowing God they may not view themselves as particularly being unrighteous. Some people say, you know, I'll I'll take a little of that. I'll have some of that Holy Ghost. I mean, just like we're going to just add that on to whatever we have when in fact we may, may not really see ourselves as unrighteous. But I'm going to tell you that when Nathan the prophet stood before David in his guilt and said, Thou art the man, there was nothing pleasant in the atmosphere. Because David, in a moment of time, even though David had to know morally, he had to know legally that what he had 
been participating in was wrong on every level, but there was something about the righteousness of God that was represented in the spirit and in the office of Nathan the prophet, and all of a sudden David saw himself as God saw him. Now there's the key. David may have known then this is wrong, I'm in trouble, this is violent, but when David saw himself as God saw him, he realized in a moment of time, I've got to take care of this. And so we shouldn't, I'm not trying to say we should be allow the enemy to beat us down, but at the same time, I think we should always acknowledge that we are lost and undone with, without God. Some, sometimes people perceive themselves as being you know, righteous enough or good enough. And sadly, when we get into this area, if we think we're righteous enough, holy enough, good enough, if we're not careful, we're, we're getting into an area now of self-righteousness. And in the sight of God, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, all of our righteousness, if it were gathered up, would just be as filthy rags. And so that may keep someone, you know, if, if somebody feels like they're just a little bit wrong, not really wrong, just a little bit out of tune, not really out of tune, that may really keep them from feeling the necessary conviction in their heart to make wrongs right. Amen. Amen. And, and we have to believe the scripture and then act on those scriptures. But if we never see ourselves as we are, we may fail to really reach that point. But God accepts those of a broken and contrite spirit. Amen. The spirit of God convicts. I'm thankful for conviction Amen, I mentioned that word a moment ago <clears throat> as I shared this testimony about Christopher Newman and I shared this with some of the men in, our, in my office this morning before church and I used that word again when I heard about someone hearing from God. I don't know where this man was. I don't know where he was when, he, when the Lord spoke to him. I don't know if he was in the mall when the Lord spoke to him or if he was in his office praying or if he was in his house. I have no idea the backstory of all of that. But I, I was convicted when I heard that. I was convicted of what? Uh, I'm not just wanting to have a, a boast of a testimony like that. Here's what I was convicted of. I was convicted of allowing the noise of life to drown out the voice of God. God is speaking in this hour and he wants us to hear him when he speaks. And so God convicts us when we're wrong. Amen. And we have felt that bold hand of conviction in our lives before, but we've also felt just that nudging hand of God's conviction. Maybe uh, if we use this illustration when a conversation maybe is just going and it's running off course and we just feel like, you know, God convicts us and we think, you know, I, I need to hush. And we've all been there, right? Hopefully. Amen. And so the Spirit of God convicts. And so John 6, 63, the Bible says this, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Word of God possesses an inherent anointing of the Spirit of God. The Word of God has an anointing of God because it is inspired of the Holy Ghost as God moved on the hearts of men. 
And so this word, don't ever discount the word. Amen. The word of God specifically relates to the spiritual needs of mankind. The Holy Ghost moves on a person's heart to convict them and confirm the truth of the scripture. Conviction causes a person to realize that, that they're lost and can only be saved by embracing the gospel message. In their flesh, a great battle now ensues. In all of us, we've all stood on this battleground between the authority of the word of God and human reasoning. Amen. Here's a battleground we've all stood on. The spirit of God begins to convict us. The word of God begins to teach us. The knowledge of his truth begins to uh, be introduced to our heart. And now here we stand in a battle between the authority of God's word and human reasoning. Human reasoning tells us it's foolish to believe that just because the person has not been baptized in Jesus' name that his sins are not forgiven. But that's what the scripture teaches us. And so what are we gonna stand on, human reasoning? Or are we gonna stand on the word of God? There's a huge battlefield that goes on here just because human reason... <coughs> Human reasoning says just because someone has not spoken in tongues does not mean they have not received the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. In every case where someone was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it was evidence with speaking with other tongues. So there's a battlefield. There's a battleground of human reasoning and the authority of the word of God. Amen. But if a man or woman fears the Lord, then they will receive the word of the Lord and allow the authority of God's word to have preeminence in their life. Amen. If the Bible said it, that's good enough for me. I want to find out what, he, what this book says and I want to walk in that path. You know what? This book, I don't want to offend anybody here today. Amen. But I'm going to tell you that this book is the authority. This book has more authority than my mother. This book has more authority than my grandmother. This book has more authority than my father or my grandfather or my aunt or my uncle. No matter how spiritual I may perceive that person to be, this is what I got to go by. Because you see, when I stand in judgment and when you stand in judgment, we're not gonna be standing there with our mother, father, aunt, uncle. Amen, we're gonna be standing there in the presence of God and this book, and this book is going to be open. Amen. This is where I'm going to have to, this is where I'm going to have to rely. Amen. On the word of God. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And so to repent is to, to depart from evil, to turn away from a sinful life. Again, even without the Holy Ghost, when someone repents and before maybe they even receive the Holy Ghost, there ought to be evidence in their life of a change. Amen. It is God who grants repentance to mankind, although God does not force his will upon anyone. He sees the heart of every person. To the honest-hearted, God will give the opportunity to hear and believe the truth and an opportunity to respond to that truth. A profound, a profound example of God's grace is found in Acts 10. Cornelius <clears throat> possessed a heart that deeply desired to please God. Cornelius was a righteous man. <coughs> he was a faithful man. 
There were significant manifestations of his sincere desire for God. And God saw the heart of Cornelius. Amen. God responded to what he saw in Cornelius' heart. Again, God looks on the heart. And so when people are talking about God looks on the heart, not on the outside, and when people are trying to use that to defend an unholy lifestyle, let me tell you, that's not what the scripture is even referring to. God saw the heart of Cornelius, and he knew that Cornelius was a very sincere man. And so God provided a way for Cornelius to hear and obey the gospel wherewith he and his house would be saved. And so God, by his mercy and by his goodness, will lead the lost to repentance. I want to talk about the power of repentance. Repentance is a, is a means by which a person, by faith, initially responds to the gospel. I remember I was just a young man, but I remember thinking about how am I going to repent for all of these sins? How am I going to, I can't name them one by one. I can't list them one by one. But again, God sees the sincerity of our heart. And Lord, for those things that I have even forgotten about, I'm asking you, amen, I'm asking you now with my lips vocally, I'm letting you hear me. I want you to forgive me of my sin, amen, to refuse to repent. Here's a serious thing. When we refuse to repent, it closes the door to God being able to work in our life because repentance is the key. It is the key. Amen. If a person does not turn to God in, in, in repentance of sins, then we are going to face the judgment of God and we're going to face eternal damnation. I'm, you don't hear a lot about it anymore, sadly. Amen. But there is a heaven and there is also a hell. And the scripture says that hell hath enlarged herself without measure. And that must mean somebody's going there. Amen. That must mean plenty of somebody's are going there. And so I've got to be determined that I'm not going to be numbered among them. I, I don't want to go to hell. I want to make heaven my home. And so I want to, I want to repent. Amen. I want to repent. I know that's plain speaking, but that's what the Bible declares. Amen. Plain talk is easy understood. And so consider repentance throughout the scripture. If we think about... <coughs> <coughs> If we think about repentance in the Old Testament, no matter what era or no, what, no matter what dispensation a person may have lived, the requirement of God has always been for individuals to repent and live a life that is submitted to him. That has always been God's requirement. Instances of, of, of repentance throughout the Old Testament uh, are, are certainly dotted from, uh, from Genesis all the way through uh, but perhaps, perhaps one one outstanding example of repentance in, in a very vivid account would be the account of Jonah. First, first, Jonah, because of the lack of repentance, suffered greatly and almost lost his life as a result of having resisted the will of God. And so he suffered himself greatly. But when he submitted himself to the hand of God, his life was spared, but it goes beyond that. At this point, God used him to preach to the citizens of Nineveh. Secondly, the message of God's judgment upon Nineveh produced profound repentance 
on those men and women of Nineveh. And so it wasn't just Jonah's life that was touched and changed. But when Jonah repented in the belly of that fish, amen, the Bible said it's very, very descriptive. With seaweed wrapped around his head, he turned himself toward the temple, repented of his sins, and God set him back on the right trajectory. And to Nineveh he went. As a matter of fact, he was so anxious to get there this time, he was three days into it before he stopped into the, into the city. Amen, before he even stopped. He didn't just want to get to the outskirts. He wanted to get to the center of that. And as he began to preach, repentance began to move in the, in the city of Nineveh and think about the men and women's life that were changed by that. And that repentance evoked compassion from God. And as an end result, God withheld his judgment because people said, I'm repenting. Repentance in the New Testament. We find the ministry of John the Baptist was was so characterized by his admonitions to the people, repent. I mean, John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness, 400 years of silence, and John the Baptist's booming voice comes out, and he was, he was telling everybody, his message was a message of repent. The day of the Lord is at hand. The Bible says that he baptized people unto repentance. Though his ministry was to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the soon coming Messiah, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was fearless in his condemnation of sin. He was so fearless and so bold and so courageous in his condemnation of sin that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they hated him because of his message. But because of his boldness to condemn sin, even in government rulers, because of that, he was eventually even beheaded. Amen, because he had a message of repentance. It wasn't a popular message then, and to be honest, it's not all that popular today. Amen, because what essentially John was saying, he was saying you're going to turn or you're going to burn. Amen. That's very, very plain. But he said, you're going to have to turn around. You're going to have to make some amends in your heart. In Luke chapter 1, the Bible said, and he shall go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. Luke 1.17 declares that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. <laughs> Amen. He came with a purpose. He came with a courage. He came with a boldness. And so to be sure the voice and the spirit of John the Baptist are as needed today as they were as they were 2,000 years ago. Amen. We need a voice of repentance crying in our day. Jesus himself also preached the need of repentance in Mark and in Luke. And after his resurrection, he told the apostles that they should, they themselves preach repentance. And so we find repentance in the Old Testament. We find it in the New Testament in John. We find it in the ministry of Jesus. And then we find Jesus commissioning his disciples to preach this, Luke 24 and 47. Amen, this is so important that even though I'm gone, you gotta keep preaching and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Hallelujah. We've gotta repent. In Acts 2, God poured out his spirit upon the followers which gave birth to the church. 
Simon Peter preached his first message to the newly inaugurated church on the day of Pentecost, and he concluded his he concluded his message of Jesus Christ. People in the audience, when he concluded, they were convicted, and they said, "What must we do?" What an important intersection to be standing at. What do we What do we do from here? I'm glad that Simon Peter didn't look down. I'm glad he didn't just start shuffling rocks with his feet trying to figure out what to say next, but he cleared his throat and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Amen. The effects of true repentance, if you'll give me just a few more moments, I will conclude today. Amen. Uh, The fruit of repentance, the effects of true repentance are far-reaching. The effect of the heart, the mind, and the will. In other words, repentance affects the whole body, the whole person, not just outwardly but inwardly. It touches our heart. True repentance, I think it must start in our heart because that's the core of our existence. And so it must start right here, not just in our head, but it needs to start in our heart because it is entirely possible for somebody to yield to God only on an intellectual level. Please hear me. And unfortunately, such a person's experience with God becomes mental and not spiritual. They're just kind of going through this as though it were just a little bit of curriculum. We're just gonna walk through this on an intellectual level and not really have a spiritual walk with God. Amen. Here's where I'm driving to today, and that is this, that we must not only know about God, but we need to know God. History can teach us about people that we never know. History can talk to us about men and women that we can learn about them. We can know about them, but we will never know them. Amen, and so I'm not asking you today to repent in your mind just so that we can know God on some intellectual level. We need to know him in our heart. How are we gonna do that? Here's how we're gonna do that. Amen, I'm gonna get a hold of his word. Amen, the knowledge that comes by the new birth. Amen, by the water and by the spirit. (coughs) We should not think that repentance is merely an emotional confrontation with a sin in our life because if we do, here's the danger. A person may weep and cry without submitting themselves really wholly to God. Amen. It's got to start in our heart. It's got to start in our heart. Our mind, while repentance begins in our heart, the mind has also has a mandate to embrace and obey the teaching of the scripture. That's why personal Bible study is so important Please, 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 whatever you do, don't allow Sunday and Wednesday to be the only time that you open your Bible. And let me take that even one step further. Please, whatever you do, don't just allow a few scriptures in your bread program to be the only time that you open your Bible. There needs to be times that this book is just open in our lap, in our hand, because I just want to get to know him a little better, and I will know him only by his. His word. We need to allow the word to lead and guide us on our journey. 
Repentance means a change of mind as well as a change of heart. People wrote, uh, I'm sorry, Simon Peter wrote about growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to grow in grace, but we need to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Knowledge is acquired in the mind. And so it's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ that we accept his word and then allow that word to govern our lives. I'm telling you that I think every time we come to church, Sunday, Wednesday, it doesn't matter when, we're in the house of the Lord. We need to have our Bibles with us. We need to have something to write on. We need to have something to write with or type on and type with or whatever the case may be because you don't ever know when something's gonna be said that will just spark your curiosity, a seed that gets planted. Amen. I, I, I was in services this week and, and on Tuesday night. I'm not bragging. I'm just testifying where a scripture was read. I mean, that, that just struck my heart. I thought, man, I'm going to look into that. I want to dig into that just a little bit more. Amen. I, wanna, I, I, I believe there's a little bit more there for me and I'm going to take that home and I have that note in my phone and I'm going to look into that this week or in the next few days because I want to learn about that. I want to learn about that. Amen. It takes place in our in our in our mind, in our heart and in our mind and then in our will. In repentance a person submits his human will to the will of God. I want to say that one more time. When we repent, when we turn, we submit our human will to the will of God. <coughs> And in doing so, we forsake former lifestyles, former attitudes, former values that were based on carnality. In exchange, we embrace a lifestyle based on righteousness that is offered through Jesus Christ. And we learn, and as we learn more of the word of God, we submit ourselves to it by virtue of a surrendered life. And so let me put that in another way. When we find out something, Amen. When something is taught, when something's preached and, 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 and or taught and God begins to open our eyes to something, maybe something we're doing in our life that's wrong or maybe an area of our life we could be better. Do you know we have a mandate placed upon us to act on that? We can't just brush that off like, you can't, I'm gonna unhear that or I'm gonna unsee that or I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to dismiss that. I've got a, now I've got a responsibility to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him. It becomes a sin. And at that moment of knowledge, at that moment of revelation, then it becomes sin to us. And so in exchange, amen, we are embracing a lifestyle of the righteousness that's offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we learn more of God's word and we submit ourselves to it by a surrendered life, we learn to be sensitive and follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. And as we grow in the Lord, we dedicate more. As we grow in the Lord, we dedicate more of our time and our talent and our finances, our energy, our effort to the kingdom of God through the church. And so as a person matures in the Lord, they ought not be moving that way, but they ought to be moving this way. Amen. We ought to be investing more of ourselves into the kingdom of God through the local church. A repentant spirit moves us. It moves us to willingly forsake our sinful lifestyle, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As we nurture our minds and our heart with the truth of God's scripture, we are surrendered. A surrendered spirit opens us now to new treasures. And, and, and let me back up here for just a moment. If we're not living what God has already revealed, 
He's not going to keep revealing more. But as we surrender ourselves to what the word of God says, as we yield ourselves to that, you know what? God will show us more and he'll show us more and he'll show us more and we ask ourselves sometimes, how in the world do these people get all the knowledge about the word of God? How do they learn all of this? They submitted themselves. They surrendered themselves to the will of God and began to walk in the Lord. Amen. That leads us to continual alterations in our life. We're just continuing to change. We're continuing to grow. Amen. I pray that by the time it gets time to leave this world that we're more spiritual than we've ever been. Praise God. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and i close with these comments. We have to internalize the message. The nature of repentance can be defined and understood in three ways. It's a turning away from serving a carnal nature and a willful submission to the human will to the will of God. It's saying no to flesh and yes to spirit. It is also the condition of of a perpetually... <coughs> <coughs> Surrendered heart whereby God has enabled a person to progressively fulfill his will. And thirdly, it is a process whereby the life of a child of God is continually refined and developed into a more perfect reflection of an indwelling Christ. Amen. The longer we live for God, the more like him we ought to be. We're to think like him, walk like him, talk like him. Repentance most certainly has its beginning point of faith. However, it's not complete until we surrender. Furthermore, the door of repentance remains open to all of us, not just one time, but all throughout our entire walk with God in moments of spiritual failure. Amen. Where I can turn back to God and say, I need you to forgive me and let me walk through that door. From the moment that God first ever breathed into Adam, an attitude of submission on the part of man has been necessary. Because when God created Adam, he began to command him what to do. It began by saying, tend this garden. Name these animals. Amen. Adam had to submit himself to the will of God. He had to submit himself to the word of God. Let's stand today. And so it's for experiencing and maintaining a redemptive relationship with God because repentance is not just a ritual. It's not just something we do, but there's a purpose. It's a life-changing event that changes a person's direction in life. It is, it is yielding our heart. It is submitting ourselves to the will of God, to the purpose of God, our mind and our will to say, I'm going to live according to what his word teaches. Amen. Because this is what it's going to take to be saved. This is what it's going to take. I wonder if we could slip our hands up and would you just thank the Lord today for the truth of his word, the value of his word in our lives and our hearts today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.